Welcome to episode 68 of the History of Skipton podcast series with me, Ian Lockwood, the author of the book, The History of Skipton. We're getting close to the end of this series, and this episode starts a new and final chapter in which we look at the politics of Skipton. Today, the Skipton constituency in the House of Commons is one of the safest Conservative seats in the country, but it was not always so. Indeed, there was a strong liberal tradition in the town, and in the early years, the Conservatives never had a look-in. Politics also played a much bigger role in the town's life. Political speakers could draw thousands of people. For example, the Labour leader and the Prime Minister between 1945 and 1950, Clement Attlee, filled the Regal Cinema in 1936, and in 1914, 2,000 tickets were sold to see the Conservative former Chancellor of the Exchequer, Austin Chamberlain, giving a talk in Skipton. Imagine a politician drawing 2,000 people to hear them give a speech. In 1874, Skipton was part of a much larger constituency, which also included Keithley and Ilkley, and was called the West Riding Northern Division. Local man Matthew Wilson of Eshton Hall, Gargrave, was the Liberal candidate and received the unreserved backing of the town's only newspaper, the Craven Pioneer. The West Riding Northern Division returned two MPs, and each elector had two votes, and Wilson was nominated to stand alongside Sir Frederick Cavendish, the youngest son of the Duke of Devonshire. Wilson and Cavendish held a joint meeting in Skipton Town Hall, but there were so many inside, and a large crowd still outside, that the pair changed their plans and delivered their address from the balcony to an open-air crowd, which the pioneer put out between three and 4,000 people. Three days later, their Conservative opponents for the election, Francis Powell and William Fison, held a similar meeting in Skipton and again spoke from the balcony of the Town Hall. The Liberal supporting pioneer consented that there was a large gathering in which there was a good proportion of working men, but contended that when a vote of confidence was called for, more people voted no as yes. This reporting and the much fewer column inches given to the Conservative meeting, must have sparked the determination to set up a rival newspaper of the opposite political persuasion. As a result, the Craven Herald, which had been published monthly between, nine, between 1853 and 1860, but was now in abeyance, was resurrected under the ownership of the Craven Conservative Newspaper Company. From now on, the pioneer would be fiercely pro-liberal, while the herald would be just as fierce in supporting the Conservatives. On election day, 1874, polling took place at the Town Hall for Skiptonians. 
villages around Skipton had to cast their vote at the new temperance hall. And by the time they did come to cast their vote, it was already clear that Benjamin Disraeli would lead a new Conservative government. Because in those days, constituencies did not vote on the same day. Instead, there was a three-week period during which time each constituency chose a day on which to ballot voters. Skipton was, you may not be surprised to hear, always one of the last. The result was Cavendish 8,681 votes, Wilson 8,598 votes, Powell 7,820 and Fison 7,725. The two Liberal candidates had won the two vacant seats. And the Liberals held a victory celebration in Skipton, attended by their two successful candidates. The next election in 1880 also saw the two Liberals returned. This time the Liberals polled more than 10,000 votes each and the Conservatives less than 8,000. Voting was now taking place in the National School on Otley Street, where a large crowd gathered, giving cheers or groans, depending upon the perceived allegiance of each voter as he turned up to cast his vote. Another difference from today was that the polls closed at 5pm. The following day, several hundred people descended on Skipton Railway Station, where, it was rumoured, a train bearing the new Prime Minister, Liberal leader William Gladstone, who was on his way from his Midlothian constituency, would stop and deliver a short speech. Alas, the rumour was false. The train stopped there, but there was no Prime Minister on board. Two years later, Skiptonians were to go to the polls again in dramatic circumstances. Their MP, Lord Frederick Cavendish, had been murdered by Irish nationalists in Dublin. On May the 6th, 1882, just hours after Cavendish had been sworn in as the new Irish Secretary of State, he was walking in Phoenix Park, Dublin, with Thomas Burke, the head of the Irish Civil Service, and the pair were attacked by an extreme group known as the Invincibles and stabbed to death. The murder by Irish nationalists, shocked England, and when Cavendish was buried in the churchyard near Chatsworth, there were 300 members of the House of Commons and 30,000 members of the public in attendance. When the murderers came to trial, it became clear that they had not known who Cavendish was. They had singled out the civil servant Burke for the attack, and Cavendish was just someone who got in their way. The huge Cavendish Memorial at Bolton Abbey was erected from public scriptions to honour Skipton's MP and you can still see it dominating the road from Bolton Abbey to Burnsell. The subsequent by-election caused by Cavendish's death was the last time Skipton formed a part of the old West Riding North constituency and was, if anything, even more keenly followed in the town, with both candidates, Gaythorne Hardy for the Conservatives and Isaac Holden for the Liberals, 
making speeches in the town hall. Holden held on to the seat for the Liberals, but the Cavendish majority over the Conservatives was down from 3,500 to barely 2,000. In 1884, Parliament approved the abolition of large constituencies like West Riding North, which had more than one MP, and they were replaced with smaller, single MP constituencies. One of the 165 new seats formed was Skipton. The 1885 general election was the first in which a majority of adult males were given the vote. And polling stations now remained open until 8pm to allow working men time to cast their ballot. Matthew Wilson was by now 84 years old, having first become an MP for Clitheroe in 1841. The Craven Herald had a low opinion of Matthew Wilson, describing him as simply a slavish follower of his party, without any definite views of his own. It went on to say, he was kind-hearted, and we are, when we have said this, we have said it all, and also referred to him as one of the two biggest duffers in Parliament. On the other hand, his Conservative opponent, Samuel Cunliffe Lister, was, according to the Herald, one of the foremost commercial men in England, owning the world's largest silk mill in Manningham, Bradford. Both men toured the district giving speeches. Lister's, in Skipton Town Hall, was described by the Herald as the biggest political meeting ever held in Skipton. But its bias for the Conservatives may account for that description. Certainly, every one of Lister's meetings, even those in small villages, was reported in full. Wilson's campaign was less well reported in the Craven Herald. The new Skipton constituency had 10,796 voters, and of these, 1,893 lived in Skipton. But the country still did not go to the polls on the same day. Skipton was still one of the last to declare. The result was a victory for Wilson and the Liberals, by 5,009 to 4,269 votes, a majority of 740. But the new government lasted barely a year, brought down over Home Rule for Ireland, and the Liberals were split between those who accepted Gladstone's plans for devolving some Irish powers and those, like Joseph Chamberlain, who stood on a pro-union platform, wanting to keep power concentrated in Westminster. Matthew Wilson came out in favour of Irish Home Rule, and his opponent at the subsequent general election was Sir Walter Morrison of the Malham Tarn Estate, who stood as a Liberal Unionist, i.e. a Liberal who was against Irish Home Rule. The Conservatives backed Morrison, and did not feel the candidate of their own. And so, Skipton's first MP served less than a year before being ousted by the Unionist candidate, who polled 4,423 votes to Wilson's 
4,289. The herald crowed that electors would not allow the disruption of an empire on which the sun never sets, would not allow the infliction of a serious blow at the authority of the august lady who has just entered upon the 50th year, the golden year of her rule of the British Empire, i.e. they were talking about Queen Victoria. Matthew Wilson's speech on the town hall balcony after his defeat was a mix of anger and bad grace. To groans and cheers from the large crowd, he complained that it is true that vacillation and desertion, the rags of bigotry and prejudice, and the most superhuman ignorance have produced this result. Within a week of the Skipton result being declared, a meeting in the Bradford Liberal, Liberal Club had approved some way of marking Wilson's 45 years of interrupted service as an MP. Among those present was John Bonney Dewhurst, and on August the 7th, 1886, a small committee reported back to the Bradford Liberals that it had proposed the erection of a statue to Wilson in Skipton. It seems to have come as a bit of a surprise when, six months later, the committee announced it had commissioned Bruce Joy to create the statue and it would go up in a prominent place in Skipton. Joy was a favourite sculptor for the Liberals, having created a statue to Prime Minister Gladstone in Bow, London, and one to John Bright, the Liberal politician who had played a prominent role in the repeal of the Corn Laws. A street of Gargrave Road in Skipton is named after John Bright. The move disconcerted the Conservatives in the town, voiced in its mouthpiece, the Craven Herald. It said that a prominent and appropriate place would be opposite the town hall balcony, where his ungracious speech about bigotry and superhuman ignorance will serve to remind us of how some of our would-be legislators are unable to accept defeat graciously. The Liberals wanted to unveil the statue on the same day as Queen Victoria would mark her golden jubilee of 50 years on the throne, but this was widely condemned as politicising a national occasion. An unnamed columnist, writing local notes in the Herald, said, I fail to see what Sir Matthew Wilson has done to entitle him in the honour of the erection of a statue to himself in Craven. He may have been a good magistrate. He may have been a good chairman of the Highway Board and Board of Guardians, but we do not think much of Sir Matthew Wilson from a political point of view. When the statue was finally put up at the top of the High Street, on the spot now occupied by the Cenotaph, the Herald went into overdrive. It conceded that, from an artistic point of view, it was very satisfactory and a good likeness but its columns were full of disapproval. The Marquis of Ripon performed the ceremony, and Sir Matthew himself was there in person to give a short speech of thanks. But when the Marquis pulled on the rope to unveil the statue, it broke off, leaving Bruce Joy, the sculptor, 
to clamber up and pull the canvas off by hand. These objections were summed up by the author of the Quips and Quirks column in the Craven Herald, who thought it was not right for a living person to unveil his own statue. He remarked, This innovation of putting up a statue in his living time is as nothing compared with the effrontery of those who have proposed it. Monuments in towns are usually erected by the townspeople. In Skipton, however, the townspeople know nothing about it. It is promoted mainly by a lot of radical merchants and political dissenters of Bradford. To give it the character of a public statue in Skipton, when the better half of the Skipton public differ from Sir Matthew on political questions, is, to my mind, verging very closely on impertinence. It was dubbed the Consolation Statue, a consolation for Sir Matthew having been kicked out of Parliament within a year of becoming the first MP for Skipton. When, a few days later, railings appeared around the statue, there was more outrage. A curious article appeared in the Craven Herald giving the legal opinion of Gainsford Bruce, QC, a barrister in the Temple, London. He gave the opinion that the local Board of Health had no authority to give permission for anything to be built on a public highway. He continued, It is quite clear that the public have a right to use their part of the highway and any unauthorised obstruction erected in that part of the highway constitutes a nuisance. He added, that there was a reasonable prospect of bringing a legal action against those behind the erection of the statue. Just who solicited and paid for this opinion was not stated. It is likely that the Herald published Mr Bruce's legal view, purchased by a wealthy Conservative supporter, in the hope that it might spur some to follow it up. In the event, nothing happened. Sir Matthew died of bronchitis on January the 23rd, 1891, at the age of 88, at his southern residence in Brighton. His statue remained at the top of the high street until it was replaced by the cenotaph and moved outside Skipton Library. The man who beat Sir Matthew Wilson, Walter Morrison, was also not to hold on to the seat for long. In the election of 1892, Morrison was opposed by another wealthy landowner, Charles Roundell of Martin Hall. Both men claimed to be liberals, with Roundell in favour of official liberal policy for Irish Home Rule, while Morrison again stood as a liberal unionist who were drawing ever closer to the Conservatives. When the dust settled, Roundell polled 4,700, a majority of 92 over the incumbent. Morrison complained of lies told about him in the Craven Pioneer, namely that he had said he had learned not to be kind to a working man. In 1893, Morrison went so far as to issue a libel writ against the Pioneer, which claimed he had reduced rents on his estate by 25% while an MP, but put them back up again 
when he was not re-elected, the implication being that this was a bribe. The case came to court in London in late May 1894. It centred around a letter published in the Craven Pioneer from someone hiding behind the name Ribblehead, which accused the former MP of charging excessive rents to his tenant farmers and throwing them off their farms if they fell into arrears. The case looked bad for the pioneer and its editor, William Harbert Dawson, the author of the first history of Skipton, refused to call Ribblehead to give evidence in the paper's defence and Dawson also did not appear in the dock. This led its rival, the Craven Herald, to speculate that Ribblehead and Dawson were one and the same person. This was hotly denied by the rival editor, who said that Ribblehead had always insisted upon anonymity and the pioneer was following the time-honoured tradition of British journalism by protecting his sources. Either way, it was a disaster for the defence, which had produced no evidence to back up its claims. Not surprisingly, the jury took only 15 minutes to deliver a verdict in favour of Walter Morrison and awarded damages of £250 against both Dawson and the newspaper. It also set a precedent for another later libel case brought against the Craven Herald this time, perhaps with the chastened Liberal Party seeking revenge upon the Conservative supporting Herald. Roundell may not have enjoyed being an MP, as he announced in 1894, just two years after being elected, that he would not want to stand again. The Liberals chose as his replacement James Farrer, who, despite residing at Ingleborough Hall, was described as being almost unknown. The 1895 election was yet again fought on the principle of home rule for Ireland, which had by now been passed by the House of Commons, but rejected by the House of Lords. The issue was so contentious that the political descriptions of Liberal and Conservatives were not used by the papers. Instead, Morrison was a Unionist, while Farrer was described as a Separatist. The Unionists were to prove triumphant, both nationally and locally, with Morrison polling 4,902 votes to Farrer's 4,763. A majority of 139 showed that Skipton remained a marginal seat. And it's also worth noting that Skipton has still not returned a Conservative candidate. The 1895 poll for Skipton was on a Saturday, with the result announced later this, that same evening. An official reception was held on the Monday evening when a large crowd gathered to meet Morrison off the train for a triumphant rally at the town hall. The Craven Herald columnist put the attendance on the high street to cheer him at 10,000, which seems excessive. Morrison was to suffer a shock at the next election in October 1900, when he was rejected for a second time 
this time by an unknown outsider called Whitley Thompson, a liberal. Morrison went down by just 122 votes. The Craven Herald said, It is an astonishing fact that a stranger from Halifax has actually been returned over Mr Morrison, whose name is and has been for many years a household word in Craven. It concluded that Morrison's renown was a weakness rather than a strength. People had concluded that he was bound to win, so there was no need to turn out. Join me next time when we'll be looking at how a Liberal MP fatefully sued the Craven Herald and how the Conservatives finally won the Skipton seat and gradually asserted a stranglehold on the constituency. Thank you for listening. Thank you.